Bounce and blowout with him in 10 3. Bases are loaded for Verlander, who waits out a three on He swings, and it's a high fly ball, deep center field. It is gone. Home run. And a huge bat flip to celebrate. All right, Ben, start the show already. What is up, everybody? Welcome into another episode of Flippin' Bats presented by Mattress Firm. We have a great episode today, and our special guest joining us in a little while, Joe Musgrove, starting pitcher for the San Diego Padres, who's absolutely killing it this year. So Joe will be joining me soon, but let's get into it. We're going to round the bases off the top, and then, of course, this week in Shohei Otani news. And then we're going to do another little who's in, who's out segment. We're heading in to the last month of the Major League Baseball season, which is mind-blowing to even think about. But we're heading into the last month, so we're going to do an updated who's in and who's out. And then the Twitter poll is in regards to that. So we'll get to that in a little while. But rounding the bases off the top of the show with some storylines from this past week in baseball. And first and foremost... What is going on in New York, in Queens? What is going on? For those of you that are unaware, Javi Baez came out post-game and his press conference caused quite the stir when he was asked, what's with the thumbs down celebration you guys do? So let's throw it to that. Uh, Let's throw it to the Javi Baez post-game interview. What does the thumbs down celebration after a big hit mean? This is the booze that we get. You know, we like... We're not we're not machines. We're gonna struggle, you know. We're gonna we're gonna we're gonna struggle seven times out of out of ten. And and you know, it just it just feels bad when 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 we strike out. When I strike out and I get boo, you know, it doesn't really get to me. But like I want I want to let them know that when we success, we're gonna do the same thing to to know how to to let them know how how it feels, you know. Because if we win together, then we we gotta lose together, you know. And 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 the fans are really big part of it. So. Um, in my case, they they gotta be better. You know, I, I play for the fans and I love the fans, but you know, if if they're gonna do that, they they just putting more pressures on the team. And and oh no, oh no, no no. If they're gonna boo us, we're gonna boo them right back. Now, this created a firestorm. In, in New York and in, in, in all of baseball, the entire baseball world, the, the Mets, the, the daily news comes out with what their headline is going to be. And it says, go to hell, fans. Javi Baez. Baez says thumbs down. Really a big slap at the city field crowd. Now, now look, this is a fiasco. This is a fiasco. Everything in New York right now with the Mets is just, is, it's, it's crumbling. It's burning to the ground. Javi Baez comes over. He's a big piece at the trade deadline. And ever since they've gotten him, it's just been a downhill tumble. They are not playing good. So the fans are booing. Now, I don't love fans booing their own team, their own players, but I understand it. They have the right to do that. I do understand that. Uh, I, I personally don't like it. Um, and I also understand, look, if you're Javi Baez and the Mets, have that. Have a little thumbs down thing you say, you do as a team. Um, and, you know, every time somebody does something good, it's a thumbs down. Everybody knows what it's about. What you can't do is go public 
and tell the entire world that your thumbs down sign is actually a slap at the fans. Oh, you're gonna boo us? We're gonna boo you. No. <laughs> no, you can't do that. Just don't say it. Do it, but don't say it. It has caused a fiasco in New York, and it's, it's, really, it's, it's really bad. Um, like I said, I don't love booing. I don't love it, but th this isn't the answer. And, and then you have Steve Cohen, who's the owner, chiming in saying, I miss the days that our biggest controversy was the black jerseys. It constantly seems like Steve Cohen is hopping on Twitter and saying the wrong thing. Maybe, here's an idea, maybe just don't hop on Twitter. Now, I know that's a crazy idea, but just don't, just don't say anything. Just, just let Javi Baez come back the next day and say something. The team comes out with their own statement of sorts. Sandy Alderson, the team president, came out with quite the statement, adding even further fuel to the fire, basically saying, this is not okay. Mets fans are understandably frustrated over the team's recent performance. The players in the organization are equally frustrated, but fans at City Field have every right to express their own disappointment. Booing is every fan's rights. The Mets will not tolerate any player gesture that is unprofessional in its meaning or is directed in a negative way toward our fans. Oh boy. This guy comes over, he's a huge acquisition. This is a, this is a nightmare. Every year, the Mets met, for lack of a better term. And, and this year seemed to feel a little different. They have a new owner. They're playing good baseball. They're in first place the entire year. But I'll tell you what, they found a way to met. The Mets met. <laughs> they did it. And it's an absolute firestorm there right now and a fiasco. And Javi Baez is going to have to come out and say something at this point. So, so look, my takeaway here, I don't love fans booing their own players, but it's New York. I get that it's going to happen. Totally understand that. Don't love that it happens, but they have every right to. They're paying. They're paying for the ticket to be there. Their favorite team can't win ball games. Their biggest trade deadline acquisition isn't hitting. So I don't love it, but I understand the booing. I also understand that the players don't love it. And you know what? Hey, in the clubhouse, guys, you know how they're all booing us? Let's boo them right back. Let's do a thumbs down. But don't say it publicly. You can't say it publicly. Just keep it in the locker room. Please, for the love of God, just keep it in the locker room. So, fiasco in New York. Uh, moving on. Second base. Uh, a highlight here. The Seattle Mariners are doing incredible things in Seattle. I mean, they are so fun to watch right now. Now, the reason I want to talk about them is because the Mariners weren't supposed to win this year. They weren't supposed to be a very competitive team. They were looking towards the future. They were, this was going to be the year they were going to call some guys up like Jared Kalnick. We were going to see what we get. Hopefully, you know, our team's not too bad. We'll be fine. What they're doing is putting together a really good season. And I, I, I think it's doubtful they make the playoffs, but the fact that they have a chance and they're in the conversation is special, in my opinion. I really believe that. The Seattle Mariners have a better record than the San Diego Padres, the St. Louis Cardinals, 
the Philadelphia Phillies, the Toronto Blue Jays. Look at these teams we're mentioning. Everybody, every, every one of those teams has, has superstars. Superstars has a big has a big payroll. This team, those teams were supposed to compete. Those teams actually kind of are competing. But this team's competing, the Seattle Mariners, and it's absolutely incredible the way they're doing it. They actually have a negative run differential. That's the thing I keep hearing about them this year. Yeah, but they're getting lucky. They're getting lucky. Their run differential's way too negative. They're not doing great. You know what they are doing? They're winning games. And at the end of the day, that's what matters, is winning games. There is a statistic out there um, kept since 1974 about who the most clutch teams are. And as of right now, the 2021 Seattle Mariners are the most clutch team since this clutch stat has been kept. So there is something to it. I get their, I get their run differential is negative. But they're also doing some things right. And that's what makes them clutch. They're winning games. They're winning all these close games. And you know what they're also having? Fun. The Seattle Mariners are having fun. And because of, because of all this, Baseball Reference comes out with a fun differential for the Mariners. It was said in a post-game interview by Scott Service, the Mariners. He's like, yeah, you know, I, I, know, I know the run differential. I know the run differential in this past series. I know the run differential in, in this season. But I know what our fun differential is, and it's plus 90. <laughs> I love that. I love everything about this team this year. A fun differential of plus 90. I don't know what it means, but I love it. I absolutely love it, and it's become a baseball reference stat. You go to the, you go to the Seattle Mariners 2021 baseball reference page, and it shows you run differential, minus 60. Fun differential, plus 90. <laughs> It's just incredible, and this team is so much fun to watch this year in a year that I wasn't really expecting it. Uh, but I tell you what is going to be fun to watch the future of this team. The future is so, so bright in Seattle, and the fact that they're competing this year just bumps that timeline up even more so, I think. Uh, they go out and make a, a trade deadline acquisition. They, they make a move that is ridiculed and criticized by me, one of those people that criticized it. I gave them an F for my trade deadline grades. But they pushed right through it. They get a guy in Abraham Toro who's been hitting over 300 ever since. Um, and, and they've continued to play good baseball and, more importantly, fun baseball to the tune of a plus 90 fun differential. So kudos to the Mariners for the season they are having. I doubt they make the playoffs, but the, but the fact that they're competing as they are is special. Um, with, a, with a payroll that, that isn't super big. That's not one of the top payrolls in the team. They are beating other teams that have a higher payroll. Um, and, and, and speaking of that, let's move on over to third. Another discussion uh, that I want to have is, is about payroll. And it's about all these teams that we're seeing that aren't being competitive these days. And to be honest with you, I'm tired of seeing it. Uh, and, and it leads me to think we need, we need a salary floor. We need to get teams at least trying to put a product out there that's better because I'm tired of seeing teams like the Pirates and, and like the Orioles that aren't, aren't competing. And that's not okay. You know, you have talented players on these teams. You look at the Orioles. They have guys like Trey Mancini and Ryan Mountcastle and Cedric Mullins and John Means. They have, they have a core 
they're just not they're just not putting players around them to win. And and it's been a theme. It's a theme with the Pirates. It's a theme with the Orioles. Nobody wants to see a team go out and lose 19 games in a row. Nobody wants to see that. Fans of other teams in that division don't want to see it. Fans of other teams don't want to see it. The Orioles fans don't want to see it. The Orioles players want to feel like they can they can compete out there. And they go out and lose 19 games in a row, and none of them are, are, are really that close. And that's a problem, in my opinion. And you start to look at the, the payrolls around the league, and, and teams are just teams just aren't putting together a product that's capable of winning. And that's why I think a salary floor would help. You know, you look at the bottom teams of this payroll. You have the Indians, the Orioles, the Pirates, and the Marlins. You know, like, and, and it's not pretty with those teams. But, you know, I understand it some years, but, but what frustrates me and what leads me to believe this needs to be done is you have teams out there that continually do this. The Pirates are notorious for it. Continuously putting out a product, continuously drafting a guy first overall because they always have the first overall pick and then they bring him to the big leagues and the second he needs to get paid they ship him out of town it's just it's it's frustrating as a fan of the game because i i want to see teams at least compete nobody wants to see teams lose 19 in a row like the orioles this did this year and i think putting a salary floor in would help i think that would help look you have to spend this amount of money and i think that's going to help uh, the, it was actually proposed, uh, it wasn't officially proposed, but it's being talked about, having a $100 million floor. You look at the bottom teams right now, and they're around $50 million, sorry, $100 million floor. You look at the, the bottom three teams, and they're around $50 million. It's not even close. And then you look at the product down on the field, and you're like, no wonder. Yeah, it all makes sense. So that's just my hope. My hope is that we can get to, to more and more teams actually being competitive and wanting to win and putting a product on the field for fans to show up to and cheer about. Because right now, Orioles fans have nothing to cheer about. And that sucks. That sucks as a baseball fan. So I just want teams to be more competitive. That's all. Is that too much to ask? I don't think so. But let's move on. Rounding the bases. Heading home. We got some exciting division races, guys. Like I mentioned, we're heading into the last month of the season, and some of these races are getting tighter and tighter and tighter, and they're so fun. I look at the AL East, for example. The AL East has been great all year. You have the, the Boston Red Sox leading that division most all of the year, and now they've kind of slid down the ranks. You have the, you have the Yankees pushing up. You have the Rays, who, by the way, Shout out to the Rays. They're an anomaly here. They're always towards the bottom of league payroll. They're not a big budget team. Always towards the bottom. Always a great team. That speaks volumes to what the Tampa Bay Rays are doing there. So kudos to them for that. And they are leading this division. Uh, and the Yankees are hot. Right hot on their heels. Uh, and this is going to be a great finish, I think. Uh, the, the Yankees were the favorite coming into this year to win the division. Uh, so you have them. You have the Red Sox still in the mix, which nobody really anticipated. And then the Rays doing their thing. Um, so that's going to be a tight race that I'm specifically going to be looking at. And then the National League East. The other side, the, the other East division. You got the Braves, who were expected to win, who are winning, but not like any of us thought they were going to do. They're without Ronald Acuna. 
They're without Mike Soroka. They're without other valuable players. Um, but they go out and make moves at the deadline and propel themselves from third place in the division to first place in the division. So that one's going to be fun to keep an eye on is the NL East. Can, can the Phillies catch them? Can, can the tanking Mets that, that don't like their fans catch them? <laughs> I don't know. But it's going to be fun to watch. I promise you that. And then the NL West. Man, oh man. And I can't wait to talk to our guest Joe Musgrove about this and about this rivalry and, and about this division out there. But man, oh man, this division has been fun this year. The San Francisco Giants, out of nowhere, the best team in baseball against the Los Angeles Dodgers, the best team on paper in baseball, who haven't been in first place all year because of the Giants. And then you got the San Diego Padres, who I don't think they're going to win the division at this point. Uh, actually, I, I'd, I'd bet, bet you anything they don't win the division. But they're a good team, and they're, they're going to cause a stir in this division because they play, I think, 13 of their games in the final month of the season are against the Dodgers and the Giants. So the NL West is going to be super fun to watch down the stretch. And, and, and we're heading into this last month of the season. And, and I, I just I, I feel like there's so much to keep an eye on. Truly, the only divisions that I think are wrapped up are the two central divisions. Other than that, we're going to have some fun races to watch down the stretch. And I cannot wait to do it. And I'm excited for all these division races to come to an end and, and to see... I truly believe it's going to come down to the last game of the year. I really, really, really believe that. I think it's going to come down to the last game of the year in a lot of these divisions, and it's going to be fun to watch. So that does it for rounding the bases this week. But now, now I get to bring in our special guest, an absolute stud pitcher for those San Diego Padres that I just mentioned, Joe Musgrove. Joe, welcome on in, man. Thanks for joining me. What's going on, man? I'm glad to be here. Of you got course. a nice little setup going. <laughs> I appreciate it. Before before we get into it, because we always do trivia right off the top, and there's a leaderboard. Nick Castellanos is at the top of the leaderboard with nine correct. But Joe, you and I faced each other a bunch in the in the minor leagues, and and I think that's kind of what you know. Over the years, we've grown. You know, like we've become friends over the years. But I, looking mm-hmm. back at it, I remember facing you in in Tri City, and I feel like. I may have never gotten a hit off of you. I can't confirm that, but I feel like you absolutely don- dominated me every time we played against each other. Yeah, it was a handful of times. I remember we played at, uh, I think that bats I remember most are the ones we played at your guys' place out in Connecticut. Yeah. Um, but yeah, man, that seems so long ago now. But yeah, that, that team. I'm not sure what our track record is. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to know what it is, probably. Probably not great. All right, <laughs> let's get into it with some trivia. Co- career questions. So questions from your career. There is a leaderboard. Castiano's yeah. at the top. Fulmer's up there as well. So a good group up there. So who's the best Who's the best at digging themselves right here? Who, no, no, no. It's all like, I, I, no, some questions aren't great. So it's a, it's a little who's the best at just knowing, <laughs> okay. knowing okay. yourself. <laughs> all mm-hmm. right, here we go. First let's off, do it. who was your first MLB strikeout? Uh, that would be Edwin Encarnacion. Who was your first MLB batter faced? That would also be Edwin Encarnacion. Who was your first MLB home run allowed to? Oh, uh, Michael Saunders? Yeah, first MLB win against. Backside, backside homer. <laughs> backside homer in Toronto, the same night that I got my first win against Correct. Toronto. In yep. Toronto. Number of pitches thrown in your first MLB start. Oh. Uh, 
was against Texas. I went seven innings. I'm going to say 92. Oh, close. Jersey number for your MLB debut? Uh, 59. Who relieved you in your first start? Oh, man. Uh, Davinsky? No, Will Harris. Where was your first away game? Uh, uh, first road game in Toronto. Who was your, the opposing pitcher in your first start? Texas. Uh, I got no idea. All right, time's up. You Darvish. You Darvish was the answer. It was there. Darvish. It was Darvish. Uh, when he was yeah. in Texas. One, two, three, four. Backside homer against Saunders, huh? Yeah, dude. In Toronto against the team because Toronto drafted me, so yeah, I had gotten traded away after like a year and then got to make my debut against Toronto out of the bullpen. Um, I went like five and a third scoreless, gave up like one hit, punched out an eight or nine, and then got my first win against them two outings later in Toronto. That's a good awesome. feeling, right? That's like, mm -hmm. that's a great feeling. Dude, yeah. <laughs> it felt so good. First start against them. So you, obviously we talked about playing each other in the minors, and, and this is a question I like to ask everybody because obviously never made it to the level you're at never made it to the highest level of the game, but I know the grind of minor league baseball. And I know that, you know, it is a grind, but it's an incredible one and one that left me with, with many stories. So what is one thing from the minor leagues that you will remember forever, a story you have, or just a memory, something that you will take with you and remember for the rest of your life? Um, I don't know, man. I mean, it was a lot of places that I played that, you know, are, are so far off from anything you'll experience anywhere else. Just some of the cities you get to play in. But um, I had a, I had an awesome time. And the thing that I'll remember the most are probably the bus trips. Um, you know, you spend so much time. And for me, coming out of high school and not going to college, we drove ourselves to all our games. We never got to take buses anywhere as a team. We never got to stay in hotels and we went on the road to play teams. So as much as everyone hated the long bus trips and staying in the crappy hotels, like that was some of the most exciting stuff to me at the time. Cause I had never experienced anything like that. So, you know, getting to take 10 hour bus trips with all your friends and play baseball and get to stay in a hotel with all them together. That was like some of the coolest things to me. So um, the Texas league was tough. We had 15, 16 hour bus rides, <laughs> uh, but going through, going through double a always stopping at Bucky's. Like I just, I enjoyed those things so much. And those are things that, um, you know, you take for granted at the time. Yeah, 100%. I wrote, I wrote an article recently kind of about the minor league grind and just exactly what you said. You know, the bus rides, everyone complains about them. We have a 10-hour bus ride. You have guys sleeping in the middle of the aisle using their shoes as pillows. Um, and the, yeah. the hotels, you can stay at a Holiday Inn or you can stay at a Days Inn. Um, but what I said yeah. at the end of it is it's, it's a grind that I would do it all over again in a heartbeat because of all the memories and, and everything you take away from it. And, and I think that's, that's pretty cool man. and unique. Um, one thing you mentioned is getting traded. And, and I know you've actually <laughs> gone through that quite a bit. Um, yeah. So this most recent time you get traded to the San Diego Padres where you were born your, your favorite team growing up. How, how was that process? Where were you, when you first heard that you were going to the San Diego Padres, what, what was your reaction to that? Yeah, dude, I was in a tiny little studio. Um, I was in PB. I had just moved out of my spot in Bankers Hill down to PB and I was going to be there for like a week and a half or two weeks before I headed out to Bradenton for spring training. I usually go out there a couple weeks early. So 
I'm in hold up in this little one bedroom uh, or this little studio apartment. And I've been following all the trade stuff. I thought there was a, a good chance I was going to be moved somewhere. And then seeing the Padres pick up uh, Darvish and Snell on pretty much back-to-back days, I was like kind of starting to take that thought of my, out of my mind, thinking that you know, <laughs> I'm probably not going to go after another arm. Uh, and then I start hearing a bunch of stuff on Twitter. My agent calls me. He goes, hey, are you hearing all this, you know, this talk about you going to San Diego? And it kind of shocked me for a minute. And I was like, no, I haven't seen nothing yet. Like I go up on Twitter and there's all kind of articles being written by local beat writers from San Diego saying that, you know, trade's done and it's just waiting on physicals. And I'm like, I haven't gotten the phone call. I haven't gotten nothing. <laughs> um, so I'm kind of freaking out in between. And then uh, next thing I know, I get a call from uh, Ben Sherrington, the GM of Pittsburgh. And he's telling me that, you know, we got something pretty close. It's not a done deal yet, but it looks like you're going to be going to San Diego. And uh, just those feelings immediately, man, like so much excitement and so much like kind of like a little kid freaking out, you know, you find out you're going to like meet a celebrity or meet somebody that you really, you know, are excited to meet just, you know, that, that feeling of joy. And then there's also that wave of, you know, a little bit of, you know, anxiety and nervousness, like shit, you know, a lot's going to come with this coming in, you know, back to my hometown and playing in front of my family and my friends and all the distractions and things. So it was a bit of a whirlwind for those first like you know 12 to 24 hours um but i mean it's been absolutely incredible coming back here and playing your first start on the mound for your hometown team where were you where were your nerves at at that point <clears throat> dude i did so much preparation for that start just like <laughs> i mean i always i always do my homework uh, when it comes to like scouting reports and preparing that way but I did more visualization and more like preparing for that moment than I've done in my entire career. Just knowing, you know, how I was going to feel emotionally and how much more it was going to mean to me than any other start being my first one for the Padres. Um, just did a lot of visualization about, you know, what it was going to sound like, what it was going to feel like if I get bases loaded in the first and I'm in this big jam, I mean, you know, how am I going to handle that? If I go for hitless, how am I going to handle that? Just trying to run myself through every possible scenario and, you know, kind of get that stuff out of the way one time before I actually get out on the field and have to live it. So um, I felt pretty good by the time I was actually out there and it was time to, to do the work. How many family and friends tickets did you have to get for your first <clears throat> start at home in San Diego? Dude, it's been pretty nice, actually. Uh, my friends have been really cool about not hounding me and, and blowing me up for tickets. They've all been, you know, getting most of them have season tickets. So yeah. they're at the games regardless. Dude, but, that's so cool. Um, I probably leave. It's been so cool. I probably leave like 10 to a dozen or so tickets for mainly family and, you know, an agent or girlfriend, her parents, stuff like that. So it's been pretty nice. Um, are you a big visualization, visualization guy? And I've become I've become one this offseason. Um you know, I used to always do a lot of visualization when it came to like performance, you know, visualize yourself having success and um, see yourself dominating the competition and only see yourself, you know, executing and doing the things that you want to do. And that was always a big part of my game. And it very rarely goes the way that you visualize and, you know, all those things that you run through your head. So, you know, I've kind of I've altered my, you know, my my style of visualization a little bit to things like I just said, where. I'm putting myself in really uncomfortable situations that you don't want to be in in a game because that's, you know, just real. Right. It's reality. That's what happens sometimes. You find yourself, and those are the points in the game where, you know, you get bases loaded in the first with one out and all you all you need is the ground ball to get the double play. But because your mind's running and, you know, you're trying to rush to get out of that inning and get out of the jam, it turns into four or five runs, and that's the game right there in the first inning. So putting myself in those situations so that when it comes up in the game, I already know what it's going to sound like. I know what my body's going to, you know, feel like. I know what my mind's going to want to think, and you know yeah. how I'm going to try to, 
avoid those traps that my mind's setting, you know, and it's, it's helped me a ton this year. Do you know Spencer Turnbull at all by chance? I know of him. I know, so, I know who he is. I just don't know him personally. So he came on the show recently and talked about uh, one funny experience of him doing a visualization thing is when his first AAA <clears throat> playoff start was in Durham and he, he had flown back early to get there uh, and the team was on the road mm -hmm. and he had never pitched at Durham. So he, get, he, uh, he got dinner at the restaurant in the outfield and he could see the pitcher's mound. He legitimately jumped the fence, went out onto the field, and was doing uh, like dry throws out on the mound. And the cops ended up showing up with him on the field. So, <laughs> so you talking about your tomorrow starter gets man. booted? Yeah, and the, yeah. the next day, dude, that's a big the... thing. Go ahead. That's a big thing, getting up on the on the mound, especially a place that you haven't been, and just you know feeling what that feels like, the visual, <laughs> and it's a big difference. You know, I mean, you know this every every field's got different dimensions and fields with a bigger backstop. Um, and a lot more space between the catcher and where the backstop is. You know, when you're on the mound in that situation, you sometimes feel like you're stranded out in the middle of the open field. And, you know, compared to being at a place with a really short backstop, you feel like you're right on top of the hitters and you have them pinned in the corner. So I, I know exactly what he was trying to accomplish with that, but it is a big field because every field's got a different, you know, layout. So that's funny. This, uh, this Padres team you're on is really, really good in my opinion. I feel like you've played on teams in your career that are fairly similar. A younger, you know, a younger group of guys that uh, you can you, you, you can watch right in front of you. You can see how talented they are and how, how talented they're going to be. How, how close is this team to, to winning a championship? I mean, it feels like it's really close, right? Yeah, man. Um, I think I think it's, you know, it's right there. We just got to go out and, and give ourselves the opportunity that we've been on this this skid the last month or so, um, really since the all-star break, haven't played all that sharp. Um, but there's too much talent on this team for us to, for things to be going the way they've been going for much longer. Um, you know, and sometimes there's, there's nothing that can be said, you know, to turn things around. It's just things are going to start going our way. We've, we haven't played our best ball, but by no means have we, you know, been playing bad baseball. Um, we haven't had many, many easy breaks. Nothing's been coming easy for us. Um, seems like every time we get an opportunity to get something going, a hard hit ball gets caught or great plays made. Um, so I think it's just more of a mindset thing, just going out there and continuing to, to trust and believe in each other. And, um, you know, just going out there and competing and not worrying so much about, you know, results and stuff, just go out there and compete and let that stuff take care of itself. Joe, I can't imagine it. It is so, it gives me goosebumps thinking about it. This is your childhood team. You're talented enough mm -hmm. to win a world series. The organization has never won a World Series. You could be on the team, and you could be the reason your childhood team wins a World Series. I mean, could you could you have even dreamed of that growing up, that you would be the reason your childhood team wins the first World Series in its organization's history? Yeah, I mean, you, you can dream of it, but that's the thing. Like, it, it's dreams, they seem so out, outlandish and so ridiculous <laughs> yeah. that it doesn't seem like something you'll ever actually do. And um, you know, now that I'm given the opportunity, this is, it's a once in a lifetime chance, man. And it's a big reason why I'm having the season that I'm having, you know, the desire and the motivation, it, it'll never be stronger than it is, you know, for me playing for my hometown team and, and wanting to be a part of the things that you just spoke about. So, um, I know how much it means to me and I know it means a lot to the guys that are in the clubhouse that have played on multiple teams and not had the opportunity to win a championship. So. I think everyone sees what we got, you know, what we have here and, you know, the opportunity that's there. So 
Um, those things also weigh on guys, you know, as the season comes down to the last month or so. Um, but we just got to go out there and play, man, and give ourselves a chance to, to get in that wild card spot and then anything can happen. It, it's been, you're right. It feels like watching you pitch this year, it's just different. I mean, you're coming off a start the other night, complete game shutty. I mean, you threw a no hitter earlier in the year. It's, it's incredible to watch. And, and I want to ask about that no hitter because you also, you know, speaking of potentially winning the first world series for your, your hometown team, you also threw the first no hitter for your hometown team. You, you did that. You threw it. Um, how, you know, how, how cool was that, man? Like how, how awesome was that day? Yeah, you know, that that almost seems a little crazier than the idea of winning a World Series with the team because that's, you know, that's something that takes everybody in the locker room. It takes everyone, you know, contributing at some point to get to, you know, the end goal of the championship there. The no-hitter is obviously you need the offense, you need the defense, but I got to be out there on my own making pitches and, and getting guys out. And, you know, I've never thrown a no-hitter in my life from Little League all the way up through high school, pro ball. That was my very first experience. That was my first experience going nine innings at all i've never thrown a complete in your game life before, so i marked a lot of things off yeah i'm not marked a lot oh my of things God. off in that one game <laughs> yeah it was a, uh, it was pretty exciting but yeah man the same thing just you know it, the intensity that i'm playing with now is just so much different a lot of it's you know out of fear you know i'm a from a part of me is afraid to fail in front of my family in front of my friends and playing in the city where everyone knows me and um, you know, everyone wants me to be the hometown guy. There's, I felt like there was a lot of pressure, but at the same time, that's kind of what I've been using to, to push me through this year. Were you okay in that ninth inning? Walk me through that ninth inning. I was watching, but walk me through that ninth inning. Yeah. I felt, dude, I felt better in the ninth inning than I did in any of those middle innings. I feel like the fourth, fifth, and sixth were the toughest innings for me. Um, once you get through the six, I had Larry, uh, Rothschild, our pitching coach, who was helping me a lot, just keeping me in the right mind state you know throughout those last couple innings it's very easy <laughs> at that point to realize obviously you know what you got going on right. and, uh you know you're trying you're trying not to think about it but it's all you can think about um so he was doing a good job of just keeping me focused on execution one pitch at a time but in that ninth inning um there was a, a really hard hit ball to end the eighth inning and once that ball was caught it felt like okay i, I can nothing go wrong here i just got to execute pitch after pitch and and we're going to get this thing um but yeah, I felt calmest, I think, in the ninth inning more so than that like fifth, sixth, seventh inning. I feel like baseball players are the most superstitious people on the planet. What was going on in the, in the dugout in, in between innings there? Dude, no, but nobody was talking to me, you know, and, I, and I'm not like I'm not the type of starter where I don't want to be touched and I don't want you to talk to me and look at me like I'm pretty normal. I play it like kind of like a high school game. I'll talk, I'll have conversation with position players. Right. You know, we see something funny on the board. I'll make a comment about it, um, you know. I'm very good at being able to turn it on when I'm on the field. And then when I come in the yeah. dugout and I feel like you have to, especially in an outing where you're going nine innings and you're doing something like that. It's, you know, it's, it's too hard to maintain that laser focus for three and a half hours, you know, and, and be laser focused in the dugout between innings. You got to allow yourself to, to take a breath, catch your breath, relax for a second, and then be able to turn it back on and go back out when you're working. And I feel like that's another piece of what's helped me this year is yeah. really, maximizing my focus on the field and then allowing myself to, to take a breath when I come in the dugout. I feel like there was something <clears throat> I've heard this story and I don't know how it went during the no hitter, but there's something like you like pound water in between every inning or something. So when you get to that ninth, you've never made it to a ninth inning before. So you're not used to pounding as much water as you had. Like 
Was it, did you, you do the same thing every inning? You come in and just pound a bunch of water? Yeah, I, I hydrate a ton, man. I drink a lot leading up to the start, but in between innings, uh, I always, I'm usually drinking about a full bottle's worth while I'm in between innings. Um, okay. So I'm usually hammering about a, a bottle of, a bottle of water per inning and majority of my outings have ended after six or seven innings. So, you know, I'm usually not getting that deep into it. And <laughs> it became, it became more so like, a, like, like you said, a superstition as we got into the seventh, eighth and ninth, I was like, I don't even need this water, but I'm not going to stop drinking it. <laughs> um, you know? Yeah. So I ended up having like nine or 10 bottles of water by the time the game was over. I was always, I'm always chewing on gum between innings and I'll spit it out in this little pile as I'm running off the, or out of the dugout onto the field. Um, so we had a bunch of mountain of gum right there and, a ton of empty water bottles at that point it just became it became equally as impressive that you didn't give up a hit as well as didn't have to run off the mound to go pee one inning <laughs> <laughs> yeah my brother my brother was dying my brother had some shirt made said joe must go first no pisser <laughs> first no hitter and first no pisser in, in padres history um i want to talk about caratini your catcher that day because one thing that's always stuck with me from my brother's first no-hitter, um, he had Ivan Rodriguez catch it, and Pudge, after the game, said, I legitimately didn't care about my last at-bat, like, about any of my bats. I was just so locked in talking to Justin. Um, it, was, it was the best experience in the world was that. So the bond between a pitcher and a catcher during a no-hitter, I feel like, isn't talked about enough. Um, you know, obviously, right. you get the credit naturally. So it, it, but a, a lot of this is, is on the catcher as well. Right. Absolutely. And Vic had like, Vic had this look in his eye because obviously he had been through it the year before with Mills in Chicago. Um, so he was, it was still pretty fresh in his mind, you know, the, the feeling of that no hitter and, and how to manage those late innings. And he came up to me and I think it was a, the third or the fourth inning and he's got the lineup card in his, in his, in his hand. And, he's like running down the list and he's explaining to me like which guys we got coming up in this next inning. And if we get these three guys, then that sets us up for five, six, seven for the next inning. And then eight, nine, one for the following inning. And he was just kind of mapping the whole thing out. He's telling me which guys we can attack early and go in with cutters and get, you know, quick one pitch outs, which guys that want to swing. So we use a sinker and cutter with those guys and save a few pitches here and there, um, which guys we got to be a little more careful with. And we got to be willing to go deeper into the count, you know, and, and, and you make him hit the breaking balls. He just had such a good a good game plan for what he wanted to do, and, and having that much confidence come from your catcher, it gives you, you know, all the freedom in the world to go out there and not have to do much thinking and not overthink. Just go out and, you know, focus on a, lo a location and work on work on execution, and that's it. You know, it takes a lot of stress off you as a pitcher when your when your catchers are dialed in like that. So, yeah, I know it. I know what Justin's saying, man. It is it is a huge piece to have a catcher that's left locked in back there. That's really cool, man. Well. Again, congratulations to the two of you on that. You'll forever be part of history. Um, so you guys just finished up playing the Angels. And I, I, I know you. I, I know that you had a very successful high school career, and you were almost a Shohei Otani of sorts before mm -hmm. Shohei Otani. I just I don't think you got the chance. If you, if you had at the, at the professional level, we might be talking about you being Shohei Otani because um, you raked in high oh, school. Oh, God. Yeah, dude. I think I feel like everyone raked in high school, though. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, San Diego had some competitive. I need to get Justin on right now. Well, I'll I'll show you somebody that didn't rake in high school. Is that right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we we had we had pretty competitive baseball in San Diego. Um, 
but it's just so crazy, man. Somebody that, and then they, I don't know as much from the hitting side, but at the professional level, the the effort and the amount of time and um, just dedication it takes to be a, a high caliber quality pitcher in the big leagues is extremely difficult, man. And to be able to do that on both sides of the ball and to have even the time and like the mental capacity to, to balance both of those things is extremely impressive, man. And getting to see him in person, he's a massive human. He's absolutely huge. Um, he flies. I mean, he, he, he like floats down the line. You don't even hear him like you cover in first base on a ground ball. And usually you can kind of feel the presence of that runner coming up on you as you're running over to first base to cover the bag and get the yeah. toss from your first baseman. You can usually feel that guy, feel how close he is. If you need to speed up or not, you yeah. don't hear a thing, man. He's just like a train and just flies past you. <laughs> um, he's just, he's just fun to watch, man. Really fun to watch. I was glad I got a chance to, to throw against him. Yeah, he's legitimately, I feel like, uh, a jack of all trades. And you, I, I feel like people don't realize yeah. how how fast he is. But I'm, I'm glad you mentioned the work ethic because I I tried to do both in, in college, at the college level. I would, I would have, and I couldn't. It, it became too hard to divvy up your time management. And it became too hard to, to be as best as I could be at, at one or the other. I, I had to pick. Um, and I would have told and that's you, the reason that's the reason why people have to do pitching and hitting, right? Because right. I mean, you got to commit yourself to one craft and, and be the best you can at that. And most people aren't capable of doing both sides of it. Right. You know? I would have told you I would have told you at the time that it is impossible to do what he's doing at the major league level. I would have said it's impossible. And then he's come along and just proven that it, it is possible. And, and <laughs> I don't exactly know how he does it with time management, but it's really cool to hear you talking about. Yeah covering first base and hearing how fast he is. Cause I feel like that's one thing a yeah. lot of people aren't picking up on. Yeah. Yeah. He's impressive, man. And I want to, I had a chance to face him for the first time. And, um, I kind of, I just wanted to challenge. I threw him more fastballs than I had initially planned on throwing him. Um, but looking at his numbers and the stuff that he hits really well, we tried to go into that location and miss just off in and, and try to bait him into going after stuff. And, um, he was a, he was a fun at bat, man. Really fun at bat. That's awesome. Um, by the way, you won player of the week this year, nationally player of the week. And I saw that, oh, obviously when, when you threw no hitter in, do, do you get anything for that? Do you get like, do you get something sick for doing that? Or is it just like a, an honorary title? Get a, just get a, you just get a pat on the back. I think yeah. <laughs> yeah, uh, good job. Uh, I don't know. I mean, I, I don't, I don't think I did maybe player of the month. You get something. I think player of the week, you kind of just get a little bit of recognition and that's it. You know? Yeah. So, I think Kolak came with it. All right, that's fair. That's fair. Um, we talked about Otani, and I'd be remiss if I didn't talk to you about talk to you about a guy that I consider to be the face of baseball, one of the faces of baseball, Fernando Tatis. What is yeah. it like being around? It appears from the outside that he's just a freak talent, and also appears that no matter how hard I try in life, I will never be as cool as he is ever, and there's literally nothing I can do about that. Is that true? Yeah. Yeah. Some people just got it, man. Some people <laughs> just got it. He's, and he's, he, he's, he understands it too, man. He knows, he knows so well how to play the role. Uh, a lot of it's genuine, man. That's just who he is as a player. That's who he is as a person. Um, you know, to see the way that he is on the field and the impact that he has with all the young kids and then to see him, you know, actually make that real and go spend some time with kids and, and hang out and sign autographs and, you know, meet the people that are waiting by the bus after, you know, it's, a lot of guys like that, you know, are going to walk right past everybody because they don't want to yeah. get hounded and, you know, and, and mobbed by everybody. But 
he embraces that role, man. He knows who he is. He knows what he means to to baseball and to all the kids that are following him. And we had some kids, we had an off day here in LA and or in, here in Arizona and we were hanging out at the pool yesterday. And there was a couple San Diego, like Padre fans that were hanging out down there. And, uh, they're just like, I mean, seeing how happy and excited these little kids were talking about Tatis. Like, I'm going to get Tatis's glasses for Christmas. And like, <laughs> that's who I want to be. I want to, it's just, it's so cool, man. And uh, to see a kid that's, I mean, Tati's what, 22 years old, 23 years old. And yeah. the impact that he has already in the game and the, and the feel and understanding he has for, for who he is, you know, as a player and what he means to the game. Um, and then just his, his physical talents are, you know, they speak for, for themselves. Um, the things he, he's capable of doing on the field are things that, you know, a very few amount of people are able to do. Um, and, and he learns quick, man. He's, he's got a lot of guys around him that have played the game for a long time and um, guys that are somewhat grooming him and, uh, you know, not only how to, how to do things on the field the right way, but how to carry yourself in the clubhouse, how to be a leader. Um, I think he's in a really good situation here in San Diego. And, um, you know, he's got his dad, obviously, that's, that's groomed him and, and, and taught him to be how he is now. So, I think he's surrounded by a lot of good people, man. And when you get, you know, good people like that around you, around somebody that's already extremely talented and someone that has, you know, the understanding and the feel that he does, I mean, he's a superstar, you know? Yeah. And it also, it feels like he, he rises to the occasion. I remember I was at that series earlier in the year uh, in Los Angeles when he hit like eight home runs in every game, it felt like. Um, yeah. and, you know, t the same, you know, he had that historical day with his dad where his dad hit the grand slams and, and mm -hmm. then he hits all these home three home runs. Uh, it feels like he rises to the occasion and that series in itself this year to me just feels different. Like is, can you feel it like yeah. that, that, that Dodgers Padres series this year just feels incredible to be a part of. Absolutely, man. Um, yeah, he's got like that clutch that clutch gene man and every time there's a situation that he was coming up to the plate and we needed a big hit it was like it feels like you're on that team with the little league kid that's just mashing all the homers and every time he comes to the plate everyone's like all right so we're about to get back in this game and sure enough he does um but yeah he, he was it was every time there was a situation that came up especially in that dodger series um and that was big for us man you know because I, I hadn't been around obviously my first year in san diego but i've been a part of this rivalry as a fan since I was a little kid and LA was always just trumping us you know it was always them just blowing us out you know series after series and we would sneak wins in here and there but um the way that the series have gone this year man it has been some of the most competitive baseball and some of the most well-played baseball that I've ever been a part of and even looking at this last series man like you know this the 16 inning game that we played against them there was you know, four or five times that we should have lost that game in those extra innings. And we had huge defensive plays, a couple by Manny, um, Chris Matt with a ground ball back up the middle as a pitcher, gets the guy in a rundown, big strikeout. Tatis comes up and gets our first hit in like 10 innings as a two-run homer to tie it back up after they go ahead by two. It was just back and forth and back and forth, man. And, um, you know, Tati again comes in with a, with a game-saving hit and um, – but those series have become so much fun, man. And that's something that we look forward to, you know, every time they come in town, every time we're heading up there, you just know it's going to be a good competitive series. And that can always get guys right, you know, lock in with that certain level of focus that, you know, only the best teams bring out in you. So I am fun. so glad you mentioned that extra inning game because I totally would have forgotten to ask you about your at bat in that game. And you come up, with the bases loaded uh, in extra innings with a chance to win it. What? Come on, man. You got to – what's I, going on there? You punched, punched out. 
I punched something. To my defense, I got I got screwed on the strike two call. You did get screwed on. I, I feel like pitchers there. get screwed on called strikes a lot, but yeah, yeah. Bigford Bigford's got some got some ride to his ball, and we were trying they were trying to give me like some scouting report in the dugout. I'm like, I'm just gonna go up there and see it and hit it, man. I'm just gonna try and put it in play. <laughs> Tried to sneak in a bunt right there and just sneak one in. Uh, I go down one zero, and then he locked me up. I was sitting breaking ball, and I guess that's why I'm pitching, and I'm not the Otani now, you know. I, I saw that attempt at a bunt. So there's two outs at the time. What do you are, are you beating that out? If you get a bunt down there, are you beating that out to win the game? Yeah, dude. Yeah, my my drag bunts are pretty good. That's something I always <laughs> keep in the back pocket. So uh, I always keep in the back pocket. I got great. a handful of them in my career, man. I got like probably four or five base hits on uh, on just on drag bunts. And they were playing back, and I don't know. I just felt like that was our best chance right there to get a run in. Oh, that's great. All right, so I got a few questions that I ask. Uh, most everybody when they come on and and the first of that is what was your like welcome to the big leagues moment that happened to you um as far as like base on the field baseball stuff or like i guess oh yeah it could uh, could be all it could be off the field too yeah no in in uh in pittsburgh this is like my third start so after toronto we went to baltimore and then went to pittsburgh after that and I came downstairs on getaway day and, you know, you have your dress code and stuff you got to follow. And apparently I was a little bit off on the dress code and I didn't wear a button down collared shirt. I wore like a polo, a Lululemon, like the three button polo shirt. Yeah. Still had a collar. I had my dress shoes on and, and nice pants. We go to the game, play the game. I come in after and I'm getting dressed. I got both the sleeves cut off my shirt. And I got the nipples cut out of my shirt and I had to wear that shirt for the rest of the road trip. I think we had one more city to travel on and it made me wear that shirt for the rest of the road trip. And I was so damn embarrassed, dude. Like more so just cause like you couldn't hide it. Like you made the mistake already, but now you got to wear the shirt around and everyone's going to see that you made the mistake. You just got to relive it over and over and over. Um, but it was the last, it was the last time I made a mistake, man. Last time I made that mistake. <laughs> That's great. All right, what is your uh, what's the best or favorite play that you've made on the field, whether it be pitching or or hitting? Because you know the drag bunts are apparently your thing. Um, I made a play against who was it? Uh, Michael Brantley in Cleveland. Um, he bunted a ball like it was a shift bunt, like we had no one on the left side of the field, and he's obviously left in the hitter, so he tried to like do this little push bunt to third and just take the base hit, and I busted off the mound. I do like a like a Benny the Jet Sandlot slide, grab the ball as I'm sliding past it, and then turn back against my body and slung it all the way across the field and beat him by like a half step. Um, but it was one of the greatest plays I've made on the field, and uh, I ended up getting top uh, number one on top ten for that play. So pitchers are athletes, is what you're saying? Oh yeah, I got I got some in the bag. <laughs> All right, uh, and the last question would be, put yourself in the shoes of a commissioner. If you're commissioner for one day, what would be one rule you implement or take out for, for the betterment of the game of baseball, to make it better to watch, to make it, to make it better uh, just for the game of baseball? One rule you would put in or take out? Oh, man, that's hard. Um, I guess with all the changes... It's off the top of my head. I could probably find a better one if I sat here and think about it. But um, with as much as they're trying to to change rules to you know shorten the time of the game, 
Um, I think it would make more sense to have like a challenge flag instead of allowing us to review every play and spend 45 seconds looking at video. It doesn't make a whole lot of sense that we can review every single play up in the booth and and look at it and get it 100% right and then decide if we want to challenge or not. I feel like it should be, you know, the eye test. You see a play you think are wrong, throw your challenge flag out there and challenge it right away. You know, if you get it right, you get your challenge back. If you get it wrong, you lose your challenge. Right. I thought that would speed the game a lot yeah, more. I like that because it seems I mean, like – you see the umpires. Umpires are holding the games up for 30 seconds after yeah. every pitch, you know, trying to you know, letting teams review stuff, so – yeah, and, and everybody is. So the manager's going like this, umpires are going like this, people are just out on the field for 30 seconds, and they're literally watching the replay. And, and The same exact the thing they're about room. to watch, yeah. So you're watching the video, yeah. the replay, deciding what it is. So you're saying just you don't do that. Challenge right away, and you either win or lose, and you either get it back or you don't get it back. Yeah, it's a game, man. It's baseball. Not every play is going to go your way, not every call. And I guess when you, when you look at – you know, the, the big moments in the game and, you know, the extra inning games, you want to get those calls right. You know, so maybe you do reviews and, you know, late innings only, but to keep the pace of the game going and the tempo, it just is, it is a killer when every other pitch we're, we're holding the, you know, holding the game up for 30 seconds for a team to review, you know, every single, every single fraction of the play. So I think it would just keep the pace and the flow of the game going better if we, if we force guys to, you know, just test it. If you think he was out, then you're that confident, throw your flag. You know, if not, then, sit down and we'll keep the game going i like that i like that a lot joe for commissioner joe musgrove uh <laughs> joe thank you so much for joining me man keep keep killing it this year i'm so pumped for you i love watching you just because you're, you're killing it man and i'm so pumped for you so congratulations on the no hitter congratulations on the year you're having finish strong make the playoffs uh and can, uh, thanks for joining me man yeah ben it's a pleasure talking to you man good seeing you welcome back uh, welcome back anytime see you buddy all right, I wanted to thank Joe Musgrove again for joining me. What a great guy, and so cool to see him doing his thing for his hometown team in San Diego. But now it is time for my favorite segment this week in Shohei Otani News, presented by Mattress Firm. So talk to an expert and unjunk your sleep today. So let's get into it. My favorite segment, it is this week in Shohei Otani News, and he's done it again. He continues to break more records. He's become the first Japanese-born player to do something. And a very, very scary moment that freaked me out this week. We'll get all into that. And we will start with that moment, actually. The scary, scary moment that really, honestly, I was, I was very concerned here. I was watching the game. Shohei Otani takes a swing and gets drilled in his hand. Uh, and it didn't look good. It did not look pretty. And, and here is a tweet of mine, very articulately said, no, 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 no. <laughs> but seriously, it, it, was, it was scary. A scary moment. You know, this guy, all you worry about is him getting hurt. All you worry about is Shohei Otani getting hurt. He's going to do some things that have never been done before as long as he doesn't get hurt. And that's what happened this year. That's what has happened. He's done things that n have never been done. But this happened... And I got really worried for a second that he was very, very hurt. Unfortunately, it was actually a swing. He was called out on a strikeout here. Uh, but he goes in to get an x-ray immediately and comes back in the game. Goes to get the x-ray, comes back clean, comes back negative. What does he do? He comes right back out, continues to play in the game, continues to get uh, on base, and actually stole a base. Ended up stealing a base, putting him in 
even more elite territory. Shohei Otani is now the first Japanese-born player with a 40-home run, 20-stolen base season. Actually, the fifth foreign-born player to ever do this. It's never been, it's never been done by anybody that's Japanese-born. And the fifth foreign-born player, Shohei Otani, Ronald Acuna Jr., Alfonso Soriano, Jose Canseco, and Larry Walker are the only others, other foreign-born players to do this. Incredible. You know, he's also the only angel the only Angels player ever to accomplish this feat. 40 home runs and 20 stolen bases. And you think about it, you really think about that. Mike Trout has been on this team for a long time now. He's won three MVP awards, and Mike Trout has never accomplished this. And this isn't anything, this, is, this is all speaks volumes to the player that Shohei Otani is. He's the MVP this year, and he's doing something on a team that has had multiple MVP award winners. That has never been done. He's the third American League player in history with 40-plus home runs and 20 stolen bases before September even starts, joining Alex Rodriguez and King Griffey Jr. This is incredible. It's truly incredible what we're seeing this year. And I'm going to look back on this years down the road, and remember this season. And remember that I did my part talking about him. <laughs> I know that. Look at this shirt. You kidding me? Look at this shirt I wear during this segment. Look at my, look at the, the, the setup here. Look at the bobbleheads we got. This is incredible what we're watching. And every single day, now we're watching something that has never been done before. Take it from Jared Walsh, a player on the Angels, an all-star on the Angels. He said of Shohei, Shohei breaks another record every day. According to our scoreboard, no one has done anything that he's done since 1885 or whatever. So every night with Show, it's something different. And that was what Jared Walsh said after he stole a base and became the one and only member of the Angels 40 homer, 20 stolen base club. The only member. You know, Mike Trout weighed in on this situation. Mike Trout, three-time MVP award winner, one of the greatest players in the history of the game, talked about what Shohei Otani is doing. Let's listen to that. He said Mike Trout is amazed by Shohei Otani like everyone else. It's incredible. It's incredible what he's doing. And Mike Trout, three-time MVP, talking about him. As one of the as one of the best to ever do it, as one of the most incredible, most incredible seasons we've ever witnessed. It's special. This is a special player. This is a special player. It's amazing. You know, I watched I watched Shohei Otani go on the road last week, or, or maybe even two weeks ago, against the Orioles, and he hit a home run there. They also walked him. They intentionally walked Shohei Otani. You know what happened? They booed him. They 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 didn't boo him, they booed. The Orioles, <laughs> they booed their decision. Their home team, they were there to watch Shohei Otani. This team had lost a million games in a row. They weren't there to watch anybody but Shohei Otani. Orioles fans literally booed their own team for walking Shohei Otani. What, I mean, what, 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 what more do you need? He hits his 40th home run the other week in Detroit. The fans cheered him like crazy. 
he goes to Baltimore and the fans boo him. Boo, boo the pitchers for walking him. This is incredible, guys. Truly incredible. I'm amazed by him. I'm amazed by this season he's having. And this season will result in a most valuable player award for Shohei Otani. Deservedly so. Deservedly so. And I, I will look incredible talking about it in this Shohei Otani shirt. So that does it for this week in Shohei Otani news. All right, and now it is time for a little September edition of Who's In, Who's Out. We did it about a month ago. I bring my producer Conrad out here. He feeds me some names, and we're going to predict who's in and who's out of the playoffs. September edition. So, Conrad, what do you got for me? Up first, Ben, we got those Seattle Mariners. All right, so I... I Obviously talked about them earlier and, and talked about how good of a year they're having, but I'm going to say the Mariners are out. It's a great story, uh, but I don't think they're going to pass. I don't think they're going to win the division with the Astros there, and there's a lot of firepower in the wild card. So I'm going to say Mariners out. Got it. Next up, we got the Oakland Athletics. This was, this was a tough one for me. This was a tough one because they always, always, always go on a stretch of winning like 12 games in a row at the end of the season and getting in. But... I'm going to say no. I'm going to say out on the Oakland Athletics. One team from the AL West. You heard it here, folks. Next up, the New York Yankees. Yankees in. I'm going to say the Yankees make it. This is a change from when we did it last time. Uh, you know, obviously a team winning a million games in a row can make somebody change their mind. And they did that. They went on the hottest win streak of the year and propelled themselves into a playoff spot and into that division race with the Rays. So I am going to say the Yankees are in either via the AL East division winners or the wildcard spot. Got it. Boston Red Sox. In. This was, this was the toss-up with the, with the A's. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take the Red Sox in. I think they, they showed how good they are all year. They've, they've been in first place most of the year, obviously, they are no longer. They are in third place. but And they really struggled there for a little while. But they're back to playing better baseball. They got Chris Sale back, who's a big piece for them. Uh, I think they have the firepower. Kyle Schwerber, by the way, is back after the trade deadline. He was out for, for weeks. Uh, he's back and playing really well for them. And this team is good. This team is really good. So I'm going to say the Red Sox grab that other wild card spot. All right. So Toronto Blue Jays then. Yep. Out. Yep. I'm going to take the Blue Jays out. I think they went on too long of a stretch of just not being very good. Um, Vladdy Guerrero Jr. is the heartbeat of this team, and, and he hasn't been as good. Uh, and I think with him goes the team, and him struggling means the team has been struggling for quite a while now. All right, we're going to move over to the NL with the Philadelphia Phillies. Out. I think, I think the NL East is going to be – I think the NL East is going to be a one-team one division. And so it's all going to come down to who wins that division. And I'm going to say, I'm going to right now say the Braves win that division. So Philly's out. Oh, well, then we know we're going here. Then New York Mets. <laughs> yeah, way out. They, they got more problems right now than just are they going to make the playoffs this year. They got big problems. Mets out. Got it. St. Louis Cardinals. <sighs> Cardinals out. Out. I think that, you know, they were a favorite to win that division. Kind of a disappointing year. Jack Flaherty gets hurt. Uh, and they just don't play good baseball all year while, while he's out. Uh, they play well before he goes out. They play well when he comes back. But I think it's too little too late. Cardinals out. Team that does play good baseball, Cincinnati Reds. Yeah. Yeah, they do. And I'm going to take them in. I'm going to say the Cincinnati Reds make the playoffs. 
I think they've been playing great. Uh, they have an easier schedule down the stretch. I'm going to take the Reds in. Love it. Last but not least, the San Diego Padres. Yeah. Padres out. Padres out. No love lost to our guests today. Killing it. I, uh, Joe Musgrove. I also think the Padres are a great, great team. But, but here's the reasoning behind that. The Padres in the last month of the year are playing the Giants and the Dodgers 13 times. The Reds get the Pirates and the Cubs nine times in the last month. I think strength of schedule really, really matters coming down the stretch. And for that reason, I'm going to take the Reds in. Uh, so that, that rounds us out, correct? Correct. All right. That's it. Reds in. Red Sox in. Yankees in. For a little September edition of who's in and who's out. All right. And that leads me into our Twitter poll of the week. We always ask you guys a question at Flippin' Bats Pod on Twitter. This week, there were two of them, a National League and an American League version, the first of which we'll get to is the National League. What National League team grabs that final wild card spot? We asked, you answered, and the winner is the Cincinnati Reds with 53.3% of the vote, the Padres coming in second at 30%, the Cardinals at 10.8, and the Phillies at 5.9. This is about how I feel, to be honest. I just picked the Reds, I just picked the Reds in, Padres out, and I really think it's going to be very close, but I think strength of schedule matters. I don't know if you guys put that into consideration going into this vote or if you just want the Reds to make it, but you voted and you voted for the Reds, and as you know, I agree with you. So thank you for voting in the National League poll. Let's move on to the American League poll. What team grabs that final wildcard spot in the American League? You guys voted for the Boston Red Sox. 47.1% of the vote. Oakland Athletics, 25.9. Mariners, 14.1. Toronto Blue Jays, 12.8. Again, this is how I feel. This is what it came down to. Red Sox or A's? Red Sox or A's? I just feel like the, the Red Sox are more talented. I think, I think you all nailed both Twitter polls this week. And, and, and time will tell. Obviously, we don't know, but time will tell who gets in. But I totally agree. Boston Red Sox grab the final wildcard spot in the American League, and the Cincinnati Reds grab the final wildcard spot in the National League. So thank you for voting at Flippin' Bats Pod on Twitter weekly. We ask a poll question. You guys can be involved in the show. But before I head out, a little extra innings segment that I wanted to talk about, and it is the Little League World Series specifically two studs from the Little League World Series that caught my eye. First off, Gavin Weir of the South Dakota team. Ho-ho, baby, let me tell you about this guy. One of the most dominant performances over a stretch of, I think, eight, eight starts. This guy's last eight starts. Let me tell you how dominant he was. Eight starts, one hit. Eight starts. One hit, zero earned runs, and 114 strikeouts. How can I not talk about this kid? Gavin Weir of the South Dakota Little League team, congratulations to you for one, making it to the World Series with your team, but two, 
Your last eight starts, striking out 114 and giving up one hit. I mean, what even is that? I don't even know how to fathom that. That's incredible. Absolutely incredible. Another one that I wanted to spotlight from the Texas Little League team, Ella Bruning. Catcher, the only female, the only girl in this Little League World Series, and she is a stud. She hit 333 at the plate. She got on base almost half her at-bats. She threw out a runner at second base. Those are all the stats you see. Those are all the stats you can look at. What I watched and I saw her is dirt ball reads. This girl's down in the dirt making great, or, or, making great stops behind the plate, making great blocks behind home plate. She's a stud behind the plate and throwing out runners, getting on base offensively. Uh, she's really, she was really leading the charge on defense. A catcher's job is to be vocal. And you could watch games and see how vocal she was, yelling at players, 1-1-1, 2-2-2. An absolute stud. So Gavin Weir, Ella Bruning of the Little League World Series, congratulations to you guys for being studs. Absolute studs. But that does it for this week's show. What an awesome episode. Joe Musgrove, thanks again for joining me. Mattress Firm, a great presenting sponsor. Another great episode presented by Mattress Firm. Make sure you guys are checking out the, the social media channels. Flippin' Bats Pod on Twitter, on Instagram. The episode comes out via YouTube. Flippin' Bats Pod there. Make sure you're involved in the show when we do a poll. And please, if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, vote at five stars. Leave a comment. It really helps. So subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google, Spotify, wherever it may be. And we will see you next time on Flippin' Bats. It's a blowout, eighth inning, 10-3. Bases are loaded for Verlander, who waits out a real pitch. He swings, and it's a high fly ball, deep center field. It is gone. Home run. And a huge bat flip to celebrate.